this, um... I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. Like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. The shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? There's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. It's one of my favorite scenes from any movie that I've seen. It's from The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And it's a powerful reminder that there are a few things in this world that are worth fighting for. Uh, there are, uh, it is good to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. It is good to fight for the unborn and for the disabled. It is a good thing to fight for freedom, and, and I, I doubt that there's a parent or a grandparent in the room that would not go to bat for their child or for their grandchild because there's this internal part of us that wants to be part of something good and something right. We have this inner magnet that's, a, that's attracted to fighting for the good in this world. And that's why uh, Samwise Ganji a moment ago just said that that's why we're attracted to stories of good versus evil, even uh, when people have to struggle to see it happen. It's why we spend our hard-earned money on subscriptions to Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, because we're so attracted to those stories. It's why books will never go out of fashion, because we want to see that there is something worth fighting for. It's interesting, though, when it comes to relationships, we typically don't always take a posture that shares the belief that relationships are worth fighting for. Because people are complicated, right? 
and situations are, are nuanced and and uh, there's a lot of drama and there's just so much work that needs to be done to make a relationship healthy. And so instead of putting the hard work in that it takes to make our relationships functional and healthy and thriving and, and biblical, we tend to just simply write them off by saying that there are some situations and some, uh, 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 by, um, let me start that sentence over. Um, I want to preface what I'm about to say by noting that even though I'm going to be talking about relationships that are worth fighting for, there are some relationships that we can be in that are so toxic and unhealthy that the most healthy thing is to step aside from it. So I don't want you to take this message as if saying that you are, if you're in some kind of relationship, a friendship or a, uh, a you know, deep uh, thing at work or even in a marriage that is toxic or abusive, that you should stay in the position or the posture that you're in if it is bringing mental and spiritual and physical and uh, sexual abuse. That is not okay. So our desire for all relationships including those are to, to work and to be healthy, and sometimes, unfortunately, some are more difficult than others. But how we uh, relate in the vast majority of our relationships, we can say that there is one big overarching principle that we need to take home today, and that is that our relationships are worth fighting for. It is worth fighting for healthy and uh, and good biblical relationships. And this is a third message now from the letter of Paul to Philemon. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to the letter uh, to Philemon. And in the first message, we sort of uh, got the groundwork going uh, for what Paul is going to bring by talking about the foundational aspects of relationships. Uh, that is having a right relationship with God, a biblical understanding of yourself, and a healthy relation to other people. Last week we looked at how encouragement is one of the first things that we can do in order to restore relationships or to make them even more healthy if things are, are going well at this point. And today we are going to look at the necessity of fighting for those relationships in verses 8 through 11. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, let's look now at verses 8 through 11. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. It became his father while I was still in chains. Once he was useless, once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. We need to fight for our relationships, from the most seemingly inconsequential ones to those most intimate and important in our lives. They are worth fighting for. And today, I want to give you three things you could leave. Uh, from this place right away already being able to put into practice and uh, and start working on some of those areas that we might be unhealthy and the first is is that we need to check our motives and our approach to 
our relationships. Check your motive and your approach to relationships. Uh, when it comes to how we handle relationships, uh, we have all different kinds of styles in how we relate to others, don't we? And some of those things are based on our personalities, some of them are based on our temperaments, maybe on our background, uh, experiences, and so on. However, uh, there are only a handful of ways in which we, um, as a people, have of how we deal with other people. And let's be honest, one of them is, is that we can be people who are manipulators. We know how to navigate situations and say the right things and do the right things in order to get the outcome that we desire. And we see other people, not as people, but rather as stepping stones to get uh, to what we truly want. Some of us may be authoritarians. And what I mean by that is that we will use our position of authority or maybe our perceived positions or maybe our physical strengths to coerce people into doing what we want them to do. You'll often see this in husbands who have an over-realized understanding of biblical manhood and womanhood, who instead of leading the family uh, as Christ loved the church, he will use uh, words like, oh, you know what, the Bible says that you need to obey me as my wife, and so therefore you need to do this sort of thing. I'm going to be honest with you, there are sometimes you will see this in pastors as well in churches. That instead of appealing out of love and helping people grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will simply say, well, I'm your pastor. And because I'm your pastor, you need to obey me. That's what the Bible says. So you need to, to do that. A little advice, it's a little side note, but any time that a pastor or someone in authority tells you that you need to do this or that because simply because of their position, it's a red flag. It's not leadership. It's a power trip. And it's borderline spiritual abuse. Steve Jobs uh, led Apple, the Apple company to be the most profitable company on the face of the earth. And you know how he got his workers to do the impossible in technology? told his workers they were stupid and they were no good if they screwed up and that they better get their act together or they were going to be fired. Does that inspire anyone? Does that make anybody want to make a change because they want to? It doesn't. And it's not leadership. On the flip side, some of us are doormats uh, where we are so averse to conflict that we just acquiesce and we just uh, become recluse. We don't want to deal with that. We don't want anything to do with that. So we just give in. And we're never happy because people realize that's how we are. The Apostle Paul didn't fit into any of these categories. Notice in verse 8, he has a desire to positively motivate Philemon to do what he's asking him to do. In verse 8 it says, For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what's right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. So Paul recognized that because he was an apostle, he had the right and he had the ability 
to say, look, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He set me apart for the gospel of God. And now because of that, find them, and you need to get your act together. You need to receive Onesimus back because I said so. But he doesn't make use of that. He says, finally, when I, man, I love you, and I just want to appeal you out to, to you out of love. I got this guy Onesimus here with me. You know Onesimus. He's become a Christian now, if you can believe that. You're a Christian. And because of our common bond in Christ, I just I want to put the ball into your court and ask you to do the right thing. Just consider doing the right thing. So notice the three things that Paul does. He gives Philemon room, he gives him freedom, and he gives him time to do the right things. Room, freedom, and time. He allows the Holy Spirit, not Paul's ego, to make the change in Philemon's life, in Onesimus' life as well. And it is all for the glory of God. The best relationships are the ones in which compulsion and fear are not the factors by which people are motivated. But it's through love and care and nurture and kindness. It is those kinds of parents that resist the urge that when the kids are acting up that Parents just grow up. You know what? I am the father. I am the mother. Because I am this position, you need to do what I say. There comes a time and a place for, for discipline and all that kind of stuff. But these are relationships that we realize that there's a bigger picture to play here. There's a win-win situation that we're looking towards. These are relationships that want the best for the other person. They, they don't just give in. Nor do they demand the way Jesus was with us. He doesn't demand. He didn't, he didn't call to us by saying, hey, look, I'm the son of God. Now, because I'm the son of God, you need to get on the Jesus bus. No, he woos us, doesn't he? He knows what's best for us, and that's to come to him and be in relationship with him. He knows that that's best for him, too. Why? Because then he gets on the he doesn't pull rank, nor does he act like a lost puppy. So where are you today? I want you to think of one relationship in your life that you wish was better. What's your default position and posture in that relationship? Is it to bark orders? Is it uh, that you're easily stepped on and you give in? Do you just need to tone it down and listen? Or maybe do you need to stand up for yourself or the relationship? In either case, we need to check our motives. And we need to check our approach to those relationships. And second, uh, this morning, we need to advocate for those relationships. We need to advocate for them. You know, I'm not a huge fan of boxing, but there is one aspect of the sport that, that just absolutely fascinates me. And it's what happens when there's not fighting. It's when the bell rings and the boxers go to their little corners. And, uh, and there's a lot going on. You see the guy that 
There's one guy that's got gauze and he's wiping up the blood during the fight. You got another guy that's taking Vaseline and wiping it on his face so that the punches can slide off him. You got one guy that's massaging muscles to warm the boxer back up so he can go back out there and, and do his thing. But the one that I absolutely love the most is the coach. The one who's in the corner that is telling uh, the, the, the boxer things that he could do, things that could be better, things that, uh, ways to encourage him. This is where the term, I'm in your corner, comes from. It is when you're down and out and you're beat up and you have someone to have your back and encourage you and be there with you in the ring of life. It's always good to have someone that is in your corner cheering you on. However, many times when our relationships hit muddy waters, we're, we're all too quick to look out for personal advocates who would be in our corner. And rarely do we look for people that would be in the corner of our relationships, that want to see the best in all things. When we look for personal advocates, we're typically looking for people that will say to us, I don't know what you ever saw in that person to begin with. I'm so glad that you're done with them. Man, you are better than that. You deserve better. And that person is nothing. They'll try to build you up, which is good to a certain extent. But it certainly doesn't support the relationship that's in trouble. Especially if the relationship does end up reconciling. So instead, we have to be the strongest advocates for relationships. Look at verses uh, 10 through 11. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, now he is useful both to you and to me. So the Apostle Paul, he puts it all out on the line in, in a few different ways. Notice first that he puts it all on the line for Onesimus. Here's a guy that, quite frankly, we really don't know a whole lot about his backstory. Scholars are kind of divided on what his relationship to Philemon was all about. Uh, and, uh, traditionally, uh, Philemon was thought to be, uh, Onesimus was thought to be Philemon's slave, uh, bondservant. In recent days, that's sort of been questioned. We really don't know. Uh, what is going on here, but one thing that we can for sure say is that Onesimus wronged Philemon in some major way. That whatever he did, it was major enough to get out of Dodge and flee straight to Paul. And he spends time with Paul, he becomes a Christian, and he is a baby Christian, and being a baby Christian, it's a wonderful time, it's also a very fragile time. It's a time in which uh, we're learning about our new life in the Lord. We're learning about those sorts of things. And it's very easily to be, uh, it's very easy to be broken during those times. And so Paul sends this letter of recommendation along with the letter of Colossians with Onesimus to Colossae and to Philemon. And here he is doing a letter of recommendation concerning Onesimus' new life in Christ. He's not that person that he was anymore. And he realizes that how Philemon receives this letter and how he receives Onesimus 
will have eternal consequences on Onesimus' life, as well as the life of the church that meets in Philemon's house. There's a bigger picture going on here than just these two. But notice also that he is going to bat for the relationship with Philemon as well. He's saying to Philemon, look, I care about you. And your response to this will help you grow up in your faith. It will improve your relationship with God. You will prosper in faith and obedience. And you'll be blessed by doing the right thing. Philemon's church will be blessed when they see the leader of their house church showing an example of forgiveness and reconciliation. Restoration. And notice also that Paul is putting it out there for the sake of his, of his relationship with both Philemon and Onesimus. How Philemon reacts shows and reflects on Paul and his reputation. How Onesimus acts as a new believer will show how Paul disciples new Christians. It will affect the greater church and does today as we read these words of Paul. This is a big deal. But he's doing it in order to highlight the central truth that we must realize that our relationships matter. They matter to God. They matter to us. That reconciliation and harmony in our relationships is something worth fighting for. And we'll get to this a little bit more in detail in our third point. But in verses 11, but in verse 11, notice what he says. He says, once he was useless to you, but is now useful both to me and to you. So what does he mean by that? Is he saying that uh, Onesimus is just a lazy bum who wasn't worth the time and the effort when he was with him? I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. He is probably, uh, he was probably more than likely a very productive servant for Philemon. At one point was very useful in managing his house, doing whatever it was. But as soon as he sinned against Philemon, Man, he's no longer useful to him. And finally, in his mind, this guy screwed up. He wronged me. He's done. He's cut off. I, I don't want anything to do with him other than persecuting him for what he did to me. He's a scoundrel. He's a criminal. And notice that, in essence, Paul is saying, you know what? That's true. He did all those things. We need to be honest. We need to say, yes. What Philemon, uh, what Onesimus did was not right. But, that's in the past. Onesimus is a new person now. Christ has made him a new creature. It's time to bury the hatchet. It's time to move forward in this relationship. And oftentimes when we are hurt, we act in that sort of way too. But we need to see the value that is in every single person. 
How often is it that we think of the value that God ascribes to us when we screw up or when we make a huge mistake? You know, as a person that throughout my life has struggled with beating myself up over sins and mistakes, I never thought too much about God's finding much value in me. We are of infinite worth, though, to God. In fact, Jesus even says that you are, you are worth more than two sparrows, which doesn't sound very uh, great as I'm talking here, but uh, in the context, Jesus is saying that, you know, God takes care of the birds. Of course, he's going to take care of you. Christ died to show the value of our relationship with him. We need to be people that see the value of our relationships and will be in the corner of our relationships, not so that, that our individual self-esteem can be built up, but that our relationship can be restored. So we need to advocate for our relationships. The third and finally, and related to it, we need to see all of our relationships as assets. See our relationships as assets. Look at verse 11 again. Once he was useless to you. Think about that term. Useless. Once he was useless to you. But now he's useful both to you and to me. And isn't it true that many times when our relationships go sour, how many of us, and I don't, I don't want to show offense here, have ever had that sentiment in our heart that says, wronged me. I wasted an entire year of my life pouring into that person. And then they went and they treated me like that. What a waste. A person who was once dear to us is being a bit difficult and we think that everything, including the good things, ought to just be totally tossed out. And that may have been how Philemon felt with Onesimus. That whatever Onesimus did, regardless of the faithfulness that he had provided previously in their relationship, it warranted complete dismissal of Philemon, uh, of Philemon towards Onesimus. But Paul does something interesting here that we would not be able to catch in English. The name Onesimus literally means useful. Isn't that interesting? So there's a play on words here that Paul uh, employs. He is essentially trying to convince Philemon that the relationship to Onesimus, that the relationship to useful, is useful, even though he didn't think it, that it was. Onesimus, who uh, had been won over to Christ, he had come to grips with his sin and his and his and his uh, his. His errors with Philemon, and he wants to go back, and he wants to make it right. And now Paul is asking Philemon to put his prejudice and his his bias aside here, and find value and usefulness in Onesimus. This is not much different than we went, when we went through the prodigal son a number of weeks ago. If you remember, the the prodigal son takes all of his inheritance. He goes and he squanders it on prostitutes and. And lavish living, and when he's broke, he goes back to his father and says, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against heaven and before you. Make me as one of your servants. 
That's what's happening here. And Paul wants Philemon to be like the father in that story. Receive Onesimus back with open arms. Not as a slave, but as verse 15 tells us. Says, for perhaps this was why he was separated from you for a brief time. So that you might get him back permanently. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. As a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me. How much more to you? Both in the flesh and in the Lord. So friends, we ought to see healthy relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ as far more beneficial, as far more uh, of importance than to see them as useless enemies. Here's what I want you to do. Take an inventory of your relationships. Are there any of them that you are ready to just cut off and be done with? Now, thinking about that relationship, is there room in your heart to allow love to grow and swell? If not, why? What's holding you back? Let's get that out. Let's work on it. Let's make it happen. Let's do it together if we need to. Let's get out and let's work towards healthy relationships. I've said it twice now in this series, and I'm going to say it for a third time. I believe and I'm convinced that we can through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power that we have in the gospel, we can have healthy relationships with other people. Relationships that are broken can be restored. We have to want it. We have to work toward it. We have to let the Holy Spirit move in our hearts and our minds and one of the chief ways that we do is we submit to the Holy Spirit and we need to see that our relationships are worth fighting for. So brothers and sisters, who's ready to get the boxing gloves on? Who's ready to, to get in the corner of your relationships and start fighting on behalf of those relationships? Let's do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have called us to live in harmony with each other. And so, Father, that, that's so difficult, Lord, because we're sinners and other people are sinners and life is messy and tricky. And... But God, I pray that you would humble our hearts this morning. Lord, that we would do the hard work to go to people. Through the power of the Holy Spirit to apologize and to start working things out. God, we want to ask that we would see some amazing relational transformations in this church and in this community. 
Would you do that work because of what Christ has done for us in the gospel? And it's in his name that I ask this. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more messages, find us online at www.emmanuelmora.com or on any podcast app. Visit our website for more information about our church or access more resources. Also, if you like what you've heard, consider partnering with us in our mission by giving financially. You can give a one-time gift or give recurring gifts at www.emmanuelmora.com or text the word GIFT to 320-313-1950.